everybody to another episode of the Dragonfire podcast. I am James Lloyd Doolin, author of No Heart for a Thief. I am joined as always, but it's a little unusual this time, by Nathan Klimbara. Unfortunately, we have a little bit of a tech issue and Nathan is not on screen for our YouTube viewers, but he's still amongst us and so he's still going to be contributing to the conversation. Those of you on Spotify might not even notice the difference, but Nathan is a reviewer and blogger for the Before We Go blog and we are happy to have a special guest with us this week. We are joined by Adrian Gibson, author of Mushroom Blues, the first book of the Hoffman Report. Uh, we are excited to get into it. Adrian, how are you doing? Doing very well. I'm glad to be joined by you and Nathan's disembodied voice. Yeah, yeah, I'm here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I will confirm, I am here. He's just like the omnipresent narrator, like the omniscient narrator of this of this podcast. Maybe you should just narrate. Okay. Yeah. Just like what you guys are doing, talking about it. Yeah, that would be so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to practice it a bit. Yeah. All right. It'll um, take some time. But you'll get there. Well, we'll see. Right. We, we might get into that a little bit later. It depends on how uh, ridiculous we end up getting. But um, Adrian, I want to talk to you. You know, you have this book coming out. Can you remind us of the date it's coming out? Uh, March 19th. March 19th. Uh, Mushroom Blues is coming out. And you're a debut author, but you're not new to the scene. So you've been around as the creator and co-host of SFF Addicts podcast. And, uh, you know, what have you learned from that, that you're bringing into this role as an author now in the community? And and what has that taught you about um, the community and, and kind of what it takes to be an author in this space? And how has it affected all of those, all of your plans? Yeah, I mean, I started the podcast knowing that I wanted to publish. Okay. But cool. the trajectory of the podcast completely changed how I have gone about approaching it. So initially I started it like quite selfish, wanting to just create a platform where I could invite authors whose work I respected, whose work I read and loved, and just pick their brains about everything to do with sci-fi fantasy writing craft genre all these different elements and what it ended up doing was it a it did achieve that in the sense that i was i've been able to talk to some incredible authors people who i've admired for decades and people who i have only found out about recently you know debut authors or people who are um you know, not necessarily like big names or New York Times bestsellers or anything like that. But what I've realized is that every single person who I have had on the show has brought a wealth of knowledge that I did not expect, regardless of how entrenched they are within the industry or within the craft. And so it's like the debut authors have tons of incredible nuggets to share just as much as you know, like the Paulinis or Jim Butcher or Martha Wells. And so I've been able to really absorb a ton from all sides of it, from the indie authors to the trad authors, 
from the big names to the new and the more obscure and basically convinced myself that trad pub was not the path that I wanted to go down. <laughs> yeah. Um, just because there, there are so many, on one hand, it's like, there are people who've had success in trad and good, like congratulations to those people. But I've also heard far too many horror stories and I personally don't want to go through the necessary hurdles and the strictures that are in place that that separate an aspiring author from a traditionally published author. Mm -hmm. Finding an agent, like finding the right editor at the right publisher, like waiting for your book to be picked up and it just dies on submission and all these different things that can go into your book isn't even that much closer to getting published yet you're still bombarded by really heavy mental stresses and so you know like my co-host mj kuhn and tons of friends that i've made have told me about their struggles and what i've found is that the indie authors tend to be the ones who are a generally more happy about what they're doing uh, and more, I think, hopeful because they have retained control and the hope is in their hands as opposed to passing the torch over to somebody else and hoping that they don't fuck you over, you know, hoping that that the contract that they've given you, that the marketing that they give you, all these different factors are going to benefit you in the long run as opposed to you debuting and just dying in the water yeah. as soon as your book launches kind of thing. And I've heard that far too many times and, or people who are like stuck in the mid list and yeah. never really <laughs> find a way out of that. And so for me, in terms of my background, you know, with SFF addicts, with tattooing, I was a tattoo artist for seven years before that I was a music journalist, like freelance and all of those things kind of led to me realizing like self pub is the best route for me because mm -hmm. I'm an experimental, experimental person. Um, I like to be in control of the things that I'm doing creatively. And so that entrepreneurial spirit of self pub really suits me. And then on top of that, just the community of people that I've come across whether they're traditionally published or whether they're self-published, there's just this amazing sort of cross-contamination of incredibly talented people, but also incredibly kind and supportive people. And so the podcast has given me like the best of all the different worlds in terms of helping me realize which publishing path is right for me, but also introducing me to voices that have taught me so much but have also become fundamental pillars for me in terms of friendship and community yeah and as far as what you said about you know indie authors having that hope i think hope is part of it self-delusion you know i wouldn't <laughs> write that off it's very important for the process yeah 
Yeah. It's like it's like a naive, naive optimism, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just kind of go go into it and fucking swing for the fences and just yes. give it a give it give it a shot. <laughs> so um we, we won't publish this podcast unless you answer who is the best and who is the worst author you've had on the channel. <laughs> oh, you gotta sick. throw some bus some people under buses. You are sick, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I can't, I can't, I can't say it. Like, uh, MJ and I had, it was really, really monumental for me to shift the podcast format to uh, MJ and I as co-hosts, but then also more intimate with two-part uh, chats with, with a single author, as opposed to like the panels that I was doing before, which were fucking great and so much fun. But time-wise and like mentally were quite unsustainable um but last year uh jim butcher just like completely blew my mind the conversations that we had with him but ken liu was single-handedly one of the best interviews i've ever done oh yeah uh he just intellectually and the way that he approaches his craft and the themes and ideas that are underpinning his stories i was like man i just want to like record with you for like six hours but you know <laughs> obviously we had a time limits but he was very kind with his time and and yeah. you know we dug into like artificial intelligence and all these things that i'm really passionate about yeah. and and just like storytelling and you know how technology plays into us as people and also into the role of storytelling and i was like you are just speaking my mind dude so that one was i'm not going to give you a worst <laughs> yeah but that's the fun one come on screw, screw you man no. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I just finished uh ken lu's book the the first uh one of the dandelion uh the grace of kings grace of kings mm -hmm. um a couple weeks ago I, I struggled to get into it and then I loved it. Like the beginning of it was hard because it's it it's dense. It's, it's dense great. and it's a very far off perspective. It's a very distant perspective mm -hmm. for a lot of the book. And it it doesn't read like a fantasy book. It reads like an alternate history book. Um and I I found out since then that it's actually heavily based on a, a historical retelling of that time mm -hmm. and then kind of brought into this fantasy world so it makes a lot of sense but at first it's so hard to connect with and then i just ended up loving it yeah. um but and so know, i know it's I a think, hard book for some people but yeah, i love yeah. it i think also uh for anyone who's a bit intimidated by that he's an incredible short story writer as well yeah. so it's like he has two collections uh the paper menagerie and the hidden girl and both of them are fantastic and so it's like if you're if you're a little bit intimidated by like an 800 page book uh that, that <laughs> james struggled through at the beginning but ended up loving if that sounds like too much then you know you can always check out his his short stories as well because they're fantastic um so before we get into more about you as a writer people know about you as a podcast host people are going to start learning more about you as an author who are you outside of those roles? I mean, basic, like, everyday foundation for me is that I'm a stay-at-home dad. Uh, I got two boys. 
uh one is three and a half and the other is coming up on one and so that is like 90 percent of my life is them and kind of like creating a good life for them at home and allowing that to be like a, a bedrock for my mental and psychological stability even though they bring me a ton of stress because because <laughs> kids are just madhouses it's just like it's chaos but i think they do give me the perspective that i need in order to balance myself out uh, and figure out like what are my priorities how do i spend my time with them but also how do i spend my time away from them in the sense of like capturing an idea of me as a parent but also me as an individual and an adult who is seeking out my own uh dreams essentially and so it was like being a parent was i think very fundamental for me to take the chance of podcasting because i started that because i was just like a bored dad and now that I'm entering entering into the author space to understand like the responsibility that it takes to raise a human being is also like the responsibility it takes to nurture a story and, and allow it to come to fruition. Um, you know, and on top of that, it's like, I have a background in illustration, uh, graphic design, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I was a tattoo artist for for seven years, and even though I don't do do those things full time anymore, those are still skills that I can bring into this process and apply in ways that satisfy me beyond just I'm an author. You know, it's like mm -hmm. Felix Ortiz gave me incredible cover art, but I did the typography and design on top of that. Mm -hmm and the interior design in the book and graphics that are kind of mixed throughout and all these different roles that some authors might have to delegate to other people, but I was lucky enough that I could utilize my own skills to, you know, present this book in a package that satisfies me. Very cool, very cool. Yeah. yeah. My, my boys are similar age i have a, a two and a half year old and almost a five-year-old so the the yeah. gap is very similar yeah. and you and you know there's like the, when my son turned three he just became like he was like a mogwai and then he transformed into a gremlin uh <laughs> his personality not physically but like yeah. personality wise he was like a cute little mogwai and then he turned three and he's like i have emotions and independence and i'm like i am terrified of you dude <laughs> <laughs> So our, our voice in the sky, do you have a question? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> um, sorry guys. Um, I think this is a, this is a warning, um, just so that I guess listeners and everybody knows the reason I'm like this is cause, uh, my laptop pinch melted. So my laptop can't open, which tells you like, don't just keep your 70 emotional support tabs open in Google Chrome at all times. Cause your laptop will break. Um, no, it won't break. It will melt. It'll melt. Yeah. So the computer's fine, but the, the, everything else, not fine. Um, but let's, uh, let's jump a little bit into um, Mushroom Blues itself. So um, this is uh, like 
fantasy noir mystery mashup. So what was the original inspiration for the work? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's, it's very hard. Cause it's like the fantasy element. I'm kind of like, you know, like egotistically struggling with that one a little bit. It's not so much fantasy. <laughs> the world, the world is more like, yeah. um, it's like, uh, 19 late 1990s kind of aesthetic mm -hmm. um even though there are also uh fungal based systems that could be perceived as like biological technology or magic uh mm -hmm. take your pick but this world started out with um inspiration from a couple different places but uh one of the big ones was jeff vandermeer and and his work specifically his ambergris trilogy which i just adore i think it starts with city of saints and madmen which is a sort of like a short story collection and then shriek and finch finch is the one that really got me though because it was like this world this fantasy world with um this sort of like dilapidated city that had been colonized by fungal people that rose out of the ground um and this this uh cop who had to work for his enemies the colonizers and solve a a, a murder for them um and so a lot of it kind of stemmed from me having a dialogue with jeff vandermeer and that work specifically whereas he kind of places the fungal people in the role of, of uh, sort of like an antagonistic hive mind. I thought, how interesting would it be to explore the nuances of um, humans being the antagonists and mm -hmm. the fungal people being the oppressed and at the same time giving a lot more uh, humanity and emotion and and sort of like complexity to the fungal people in terms of giving them a society and a language and uh, a shared history and a, a greater sense of community and intercon interconnectedness that made them appear almost more human and relatable than the actual humans themselves. And so it's like, on one hand, I had that and then on the other, I had a dream where I saw a giant bioluminescent mushroom in the middle of a forest, just like towering over the trees. And I was in the perspective of someone approaching that and just being in awe of this gigantic fungi that was in the middle of this forest. And so I took Did that Did any dream. mushrooms lead you to that dream? I mean, this is like years and years after I'd already started with psychedelics. Okay. Um, so yeah, my like, I I started with psychedelics when I was in in university and continue to this day, and they're very integral in how I approach life, uh, opening my mind to new things and not being afraid to experiment. And this dream basically led me to creating what would become the fungal verse. Uh, but it's gone through many iterations since then. I just got really bogged down at the beginning in like research and world building as I, I'm sure many 
authors out there have had similar experiences where they just spend years creating a world, but they don't actually write anything that someone would want to read. And so it's like, I have illustrations like here that are from the fungal verse and, and it helped me to imagine like what the people look like, the architecture and all these different things. But at the end of the day, I realized I'm not actually writing a story here. Like I just created a world, but there's no there there mm -hmm. in a sense. And so I thought like, how cool would it be to do something like Jeff Vandermeer did with Finch and bring in noir and mystery, uh, pull on elements of cyberpunk and different genres that I really love in order to use this foundation of the world, but populate it with characters and a story that is actually engaging and exciting to read. And Mushroom Blues wasn't the first one to be born of that. Um, the first novel that I wrote in the fungal verse, I didn't entirely scrap, but I'm going to be reworking into my second novel, which is gonna be the start of a different series. But Mushroom Blues was the one that really stuck in terms of everything just like worked in my mind mm -hmm. in terms of the characters, in terms of the way the genres were interacting with one another, and also as a sort of fitting introduction to the fungal verse and the Hoffman report. Gotcha. And so when you say it's kind of being reworked into the second story, that's in a, that's a, a separate piece away from the Hoffman report. Does that mean it's still in the fungal verse or it's completely separate? No, it's still in the fungal verse. So it just takes place 30 years later. Uh, and that is Spore City, which will be the beginning of the Kanoko trilogy. Um, and so it's kind of like the fungal verse is this shared uh, fictional universe where I'm going to be playing with different time periods and different series. And there are going to be characters that overlap um or you know like the child of one character uh that appears in an earlier series or something like that so there's a lot of interplay between everything that's going on and events in one say in the hoffman report affecting things that happen later on in the kanoko trilogy interesting yeah so um one of the interesting things about kind of flipping Jeff Vandermeer's story and making the humans the colonizers is that your main character from a first person first person POV is one of those human colonizers, which means that at times she's not the most likable of characters because, you know, you're putting yourself in this head where she's trying to help these mushroom people, but is also very much discriminating against them. So what was your process for picking that POV character? And did you have any concerns about your main character being too quote unquote unlikable? Yeah, that's definitely something I thought about, but um, some of my, my friends um, like writing critique partners helped me realize that um, the complexity that it brings the story for Henrietta Hoffman to be, you know, she's from this colonizing empire that is occupied 
the fungal nation and specifically the city of Neokonoko. And in her mind, she's kind of warped by cultural programming in terms of what her government sold her uh, and i.e. the rest of the populace uh, for the invasion and the occupation and all these different things and how that has sort of framed the human fungal uh, relationship. And so it was really important, I realized, for her to be a kind of, you know, like discriminatory towards these people, but also mycophobic in the sense that she hates mushrooms in, in their various forms. And so it's kind of ironic for her to have to be in this situation and to solve a murder of a fungal child. Um, but having that framework for her was very important for the crux of the story, which is essentially that she, over the course of this investigation and with the help of Koji Nameko, who's a, who's a beat cop that is, that is helping her and also the people that she meets along the way, sort of step-by-step step break her down and break down her cultural programming and make her realize how warped she has been and how wrong she has been. And so even though this is a, a mystery, even though it's a police procedural, it is very much a story about Henrietta's awakening and acceptance of the things that she has done wrong in her life and how she might be able to use her life going forward as a as a way to kind of make up for the sins of her past um, and so without that element that aspect of the story kind of falls a little bit flat uh, and so i needed to make her unlikable and it was a bit of a concern at the beginning of like are people going to connect with her but i think i've been sort of like subtle enough and uh, presenting her in such a light where there is enough complexity where you understand her attitudes towards fungal people does not encapsulate her entire persona. And so there are signs that she is willing to learn and willing to approach situations in such a way where her cultural programming will be telling her to do one thing, but then deep down in her mind, she's she's kind of slowly convincing herself that what I grew up with and what I was told to believe may not be correct. And so that created much more um, of an interesting complexity for her as a character. Interesting. Would it be correct to say that the the mushroom people are in, in their cultures in many ways influenced by japanese culture and why did you make that choice um and how did you integrate that culture into this kind of fungal society yeah i mean japan for me is is one of my favorite places on earth um, I've had the joy of, of visiting, um, and just 
learning so much about their culture and their history and their language and you know actually being in japan is like this very surreal feeling especially for someone who's been wanting to go for so long you know my parents showed me this like school project from when i was like five and it was basically like uh pick a country anywhere in the world that you want to visit and draw pictures about why you want to go there and mine was japan and i drew pictures of sushi and samurai <laughs> and all kinds of things but like the the desire to go there was in me for a long time and that kind of flourished into much in the way that my interest in in mushrooms flourished over the course of, of over the course of my life to the point where i you know would go foraging and wanted to understand the the steps that that mycelium and fungi go through in order to propagate and spread throughout a forest and the relationships that it has in terms of biology and and terroir and all these different kinds of things that was the same with japan like i love anime and i i love specifically the movies of studio ghibli but the culture as a whole absolutely fascinates me and that has led me down countless rabbit holes where i'm learning about japanese history um you know from ancient japan all the way up through the edo period and the ways in which uh socio-political dynamics in, in japan panned out from samurai and daimyo to uh the empire that eventually became a part of the axis in world war ii and so it's like all these different dynamics are just so wildly fascinating and this book was kind of like my opportunity to create a culture and a world that is like my love letter to japan and so the religion of the fungal people is very much inspired by shinto which is one of the major religions in japan uh it's an animistic religion which fits really well with fungal people who embody literally their their biology and and their relationship with with nature and the world around them and also elements of zen buddhism and and kind of like combining those and creating you know fungal specific uh flourishes to that so it's like i created an entire pantheon of of deities um i even created uh some phrases and stuff that they use uh, in their everyday language and so that comes up and there's like a full glossary that i made for for the book um and so it's kind of like an extra step to give readers a bit more immersion in terms of understanding that this is a culture that they might not understand but then through the actions of the people themselves that is how you can slowly begin to immerse yourself in those differences and realize at the end of the day we're all just human even if 
language and religion and these these surface level things might might cause us to think that we are too different to ever be able to interact with one another. Interesting. Um, so be, before we got started with the record button and all that kind of stuff, we were kind of chit-chatting a little bit and uh, we brought up this ridiculous schedule of your book tour that it just it <laughs> it's like two months long and you're you're a debut indie author that that doesn't usually happen um <laughs> typically debut indie authors if you know they'll they may sign up for uh one of these kind of prepackaged book tours that somebody will put together for them or they'll, they'll be lucky enough to be on a, a show or two a podcast or two can you talk to us a little bit about what went into that planning and um, like what you learned from it and what you would encourage other debuts to do? Yeah, I mean, this, I realize now, like you explaining it too, but also hearing from other authors that this is not normal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but for me, I didn't even think twice about, about it. I was kind of like, I had on my list, like book tour. That's just something I knew I wanted to do. And I just kind of went with it naturally. Like being a podcaster definitely helps in the sense that I am friends with a lot of podcasters, or I know a lot of podcasters. In the case of you guys, I listen to your podcast and and we follow each other on social media so i just kind of went through the steps of thinking like who would i like to talk to um and whose podcast do i enjoy or whose booktube channels do i enjoy and and just kind of went through the process of contacting everybody and and on top of that you know that's just like the interview and like live stream kind of portion of it but i also love um, I think it's more common in, in traditional publishing where you'll have like the publishers set up, uh, you know, guest posts and, and whatnot for, for authors. I've seen it, I've seen it occasionally with indie authors, but I, I just love the sort of idea of a slow ramp up, uh, that kind of draws people's attention. So it's like, start with a cover reveal which I think is a really great resource for any author, set up a cover reveal. It is free and there are so many bloggers or YouTube channels who would love to put your work out there. And if you have an awesome cover, show it off. It's free marketing. So long as you can establish uh, a rapport with someone and, and, and just reach out and hopefully put something together. But that's what like every single piece of this tour was was basically me reaching out to different people that I know to set up a cover reveal, uh, to, um, you know, do guest posts and guest essays and stuff like that. I also have the benefit of being a part of FanFi Addict, which is a, a, a book blog for anyone who hasn't checked it out. Just tons of good reviews. Uh, SFF Addicts is part of that, um, but they're also big proponents of helping other author helping authors out 
and being supportive of the indie community. And so I just set up all these different things and with people that I knew or people that, that I had become acquainted with on social media and thought like, what would be the most interesting things for me to be able to present to people? It's like map reveal. Like I know a lot of people love maps and Mihir Wanchu at, at Fantasy Book Critic is huge into cartography. And so I was like, dude, I want you to, to do the map reveal. And he was super excited. Uh, on top of that, you know, different things that I thought could be adjacent to the book, but also really helpful. It's like with my graphic design background, I put together uh, merch, um, which will be launching on February 26th. So it's like a mushroom blue specific merch collection. Some people love that. And so it's kind of like catering to the, the likes of different people, but all of it is with the intention of pulling in just a few more eyes to the book and, and hopefully that accrues enough that there's a, you know, good word of mouth before the book even launches. And, you know, I honestly like didn't think it would go as well as it had, but I've had authors reach out to me and say like, on one hand, like, screw you for for making <laughs> us look bad kind of thing. Um, but on the other hand, hopefully it can act as uh, an example and an inspiration for other authors who, even if your debut doesn't matter, you know, ingratiate yourself in the community and, 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 you know, take advantage of the relationships that you develop. Not in the sense that just like take, take, take like some yeah. greedy vampire, but there's mutual benefit and a sort of like symbiotic relationship that you can develop with so many different people in the community and they will be able to help you out. And most of the time they'll be unbelievably ecstatic to help you out with a cover reveal or whatever you have in mind. It's like, nobody's going to ask you to do these things. But for me, it's like an idea pops into my head and I want to do a list of, you know, nine books or series that in incorporate fungi into it. And so I just reached out to Beth Tabler at, at Before We Go Blog and was like, hey, I want to do this like guest, like list post on your website. And she was like, yeah, of course. And so it's kind of like, the intimidation factor is all in your head and you just have to be willing to reach out to people and see what they think before your mind tells you that this is not possible. And so yeah. it's like, just go for it. Most of the people in this community are super friendly and they're very on board to participate in stuff like this. And so if they can help build word of mouth for a book, more likely than not, they're going to say yes. But you have to be the one to initiate because they're not going to come to you with ideas or um, they're not going to recognize that your book even exists until you put it in front of them and you put that thought into their head. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's why I always suggest to any authors trying to get into this, don't rush to publish your first book. Um, I think, I think the reason why a lot of people don't do what you did is a lack of knowledge. I had no idea about all these blogs when I first published. I, I didn't know the Before We Go blog. I had right. heard of Fanfy Attic. I think I emailed to try to do a cover reveal and nobody got back to me because I emailed an old email address that was on some website. <laughs> and like I wasn't connected to anybody on social media. I was lucky enough that Corey Gross was my uh, copy editor and she did oh, nice. the uh, the cover reveal for me, which went really well. Mm -hmm. But that was just kind of haphazard. Um, and so it takes a lot to kind of figure out the landscape and learn it. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of people don't necessarily do that. And they're always, there's, and I'm, I'm sure you feel it, like that rush to get out the book. Your book is coming out in a little over a month. You must feel that urge to get that book out there and want people to read it. You want people to see it right now. Mm -hmm. uh, it, that draw is really hard to fight. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you gotta be, you gotta be patient and, and yeah, like you said, like kind of put yourself out there and, and don't go into it with zero connection in the community because if you don't have any of that connection, then it's basically zero chance that, that anybody's going to know that your book even released or you know just be able to take advantage of of word of mouth and those different things that indie authors really benefit from yeah so it's like yeah you don't need to know all the blogs you don't need to know all the podcasts but at the very least immerse yourself a little bit in the community so that you understand these are the different people that are participating in this and what who might necessarily have like the 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 platform uh, or the reading taste to review my book or help me out with a cover reveal or all these different things. It's like, if you just go into it blind, then you're not going to receive any light. And so it's like, you need to see who's out there and likely you're going to start connecting with people and that circle of connection will just grow and grow and grow to the point where someone who knows that your book exists, who appreciates you as a person can recommend your book to somebody else or point you in the right direction when you need help. And so if you don't have that community foundation, I think as an indie author, especially you're setting yourself up to suffer, if not fail. Yeah. 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 And I, and I know um, for this interview that we're running a little long, but like, what else is new? Like, um, I don't know why we delude ourselves into ever thinking this will go 25 minutes. Um, but there's one other thing I definitely wanted to talk about, which is that in addition to the book, you're releasing a soundtrack that accompanies the book. And I wanted to know a little bit more about the genesis of that soundtrack and what your intent for how readers will experience both the book and the soundtrack together. Yeah, so the the soundtrack is uh, 
being it's produced and, and mastered by Spore, who are two of my friends from Sweden. They basically created this production duo specifically for this album, uh, which is just the Mushroom Blues. Uh, it's just Mushroom Blues is the name of the album. Um, but they it started out with my best friend Felix. Uh, he's an amazing uh, musician, amazing uh, music producer. And I just reached out to him and I was like, I want you to be involved in this somehow because we've collaborated in the past doing parties where I would do live tattooing and he would DJ uh, and we just loved it. It was, it was such a great immersive sort of like multimedia experience. And so I knew like he's known about this world since the beginning. He has been like the the first set of eyes on so many different things within the fungal verse that I wanted to include him. And when I told him that he was like, okay, like I'm down, but I, I'll get back to you. And he came back to me the next day with uh, a screenshot of a notebook from one of his friends from sound engineering school uh, that basically this guy's notebook is just filled with all different kinds of ideas for music and, and concept albums and stuff like that. And he had one this one screenshot that just said mycelium world concept album and it was just that like that kind of click moment of serendipity where you realize like uh, a single decision works out way better than you ever imagined it would have and so my friend felix and his friend victor basically just came together as spore and collaborated on this incredible album, uh, 45 minutes, eight songs, just beautiful ambient soundscapes. And for me, it, it means so much because I like these tattoo parties that we used to do back in the day, it, it adds just a little bit extra immersion for the people who seek it. And for me, it's so cool to be able to engage with a, a piece of work in multiple ways and so if i can give someone a book but also give them an album that is kind of like giving them giving their imagination the fuel to you know go beyond just what i've given them on the page and so it's like good world building you want to infect their mind and allow their imagination to roam beyond what you've presented just in the story itself. That is very cool. I, it, and it definitely kind of leans into some of the things that happen in your book in terms of like uh, the, the contaminating spores and all of that infect their mind. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, as Nathan said, We've run a little bit long on this interview, so I think we're going to switch on over and, and play some Dragonfire. Hell yeah. Yeah, sounds good. It is now time for our Dragonfire segment where we do a quick rundown of six topics. Um, so for our first topic, we talk a lot about speculative fiction on the podcast, but every once in a while we like to branch out a little bit. And since Adrian has written 
a noir mystery. We were just going to talk about what are your favorite TV show, movie, books, whatever, that are mysteries but aren't part of the science fiction or fantasy community. So, James, did you want to go first? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite movies, and I don't, I don't know if this is cheating a little bit because it's kind of a mystery comedy, um, <laughs> and it kind of breaks down the idea of a mystery, um, but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, is a great movie. Robert Downey Jr., uh, Val Kilmer. uh, It is just a quick-witted, fast-paced dialogue movie where there's a murder mystery kind of settled at the the middle of it. And it's very aware of itself. um, And and it's just a lot of fun. I've watched that movie far too many times, um, but it's, it's one of my favorites. I wholeheartedly agree. That movie is fantastic. So good. Some some of the lines that Val Kilmer has in that movie just crack <laughs> me up every time, regardless. Oh yeah. Adrian, what do you got for us? Um, so this is this is one of the comps that I use for Mushroom Blues, but True Detective. Okay. Uh specifically season one. Yeah. Was- with um matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson is just brilliant like not only is the mystery really enticing and weird but that season is just a master class in atmosphere and mood and i think that is one of the best aspects of the mystery genre is when the creator imbues the whole thing with an omnipresent sense of of mood and atmosphere that can accentuate the already you know dread inducing nature of mysteries themselves but if like if that environment and the things that are going on because that that season is like straight up gothic horror it is so good but if you can add that extra element to a mystery i think it just compounds the 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 potency of the genre itself yeah, and I have you checked out- that that changed my opinion completely of Matthew McConaughey yeah. and what he was <laughs> capable of. Yeah. It's like have oh, you checked he, out he just any did, of he just the, did like, like, like I haven't seen the new season because I okay. you know uh it's kind of like not wanting to read something that is so similar to what you're writing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that season, the new season of True Detective has a female lead. Mm-hmm. I think it's like Jodie Foster. And it takes place in Alaska. So it's kind of like winter and and that kind of atmosphere. And I knew like, I can't watch it until Mushroom Blues is out because I don't want to, I don't want to pull any, any of that into, into like my head. Uh, I just want to like allow my story to exist and breathe. And then I'll indulge myself afterwards with the new season. Very cool. Nathan? Oh yeah. Um I went for <laughs> James in, in your direction. Um I chose the the movie Clue. Um oh. because nice. I think there's there's that meme that's been going around that's like, you know, you win like a million dollars if you can like quote 80% of the movie. And for me that's clue. I could probably walk everybody <laughs> through that entire movie right now with all three endings. I think it's brilliant. I, I mean anything with Tim Curry works. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm like amazed that they managed to to make that movie so 
good because it's kind of like kind of has that like cult mm -hmm. uh, classic kind of vibe to it even though it's probably not everyone's cup of tea but i'm just like always amazed when someone's able to take like okay here we have a, a board game even though it's a board game that has a very good sort of like setup to it and actually be able to translate that into a movie that is that is enjoyable to watch yeah Bravo. just like battleship exactly <laughs> <laughs> hey hey brianna's in it <laughs> that that does not make it good no. <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna hop on to the next question we are going to fan cast our main characters henrietta hoffman and koji uh namako for from mushroom blues and nathan who do you have for our two our two characters am i doing both or just henrietta right now how about we go one by one mm -hmm. adrian can you decide who wins each character okay, okay. yeah yeah i like that all right nathan all right. uh for henrietta i went with um i don't know i think it's lily rob or lily rabe i don't know how you pronounce her last name if it's like it's spelled or bro broccoli rob i don't know um but um I think that she fits that like um, somebody who like is a parent or, you know, has lost a child and has that harder edge to her, but with that like softer inside. Um, I think she's played kind of roles that have done both sides. You know, I think like American Horror Story seasons, she's been able to show all of those different sides. So that's who I had in mind when I was uh, reading the, the first chunk that Adrian sent out. Okay. It, it's interesting because I, I picked somebody who looks very similar. Uh, so <laughs> in looks in looks uh, wise, I, I think we probably tied. I went with Eliza Coop um, oh, yep. from Happy Endings or Future Man. If you've seen Future Man, I think that's the reason why I'd be interested to see her in this role because um, she has comedic timing she can she's very hard on the outside so i think she could really play into that like gruffness that needs to be there but she also has this ability to pull back and make it very human um but she's played in that that fantasy or that sci-fi realm before and i think that she would do really well in this role okay this is difficult um i think you're both wrong though <laughs> 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 because I will tell you when I gave Felix Ortiz my my uh cover um sort of like uh art brief I sent him pictures of Henrietta who who I thought was like a direct inspiration for Henrietta which is Kate Winslet in the okay. TV show Mayor of East Town. Got okay. it. Got I don't it. know if either of you have seen that show. I have I've seen like half of it. I haven't yeah. finished yeah. it. I could see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can see where you're going with that. But that, but that kind of like, uh, I mean, both of you, the, both of the actresses you mentioned kind of do something similar, which is they're, they're showing that range where they can be more aggressive and, and um, controlling and um, sort of commanding presence and whatnot. But then they also have a little bit more of that vulnerability and and that personality that shines through so i don't know 
do I win or do you? I don't know who wins. <laughs> I guess you automatically win. <laughs> Maybe it's a tie and we we both it's lost a, that one. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a three-way tie. That's <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Koji, I, I guess I'll go first since you went first last time. I went with Steven Yeun. Um, I think he would be really interesting in this role. I think Steven Jung has a really great range. We've seen him in like action-oriented roles like The Walking Dead, but we've also seen him in really family-oriented roles and community-oriented roles like uh, I think it's Minari. Yeah, um, and I think he has such an amazing range where he can play that kind of subtle, like reserved nature that, I think Koji first has when he's being put into this role of subservience and then kind of push against that role throughout. I think Steven Yeun could do that really well. Yeah. Uh, Steven Yeun was my first thought. Um, but then I was wondering if when I was reading, if uh, I wanted someone who would just play it a little bit younger. Um, and so I went with, Ren Mutabi, who is on the show Monarch from Apple, it's an Apple TV Plus. He's so, Ooh, I think he's yeah. like still unknown. Uh, but that was my choice because I thought that um, he's shown on that show and some of the other things that I've seen him in that he can play kind of the the harsher, but also the more naive aspects of the role. So that's was my pick. But Steven Yun was also like, in it for me like they were like the top two for me damn this is a difficult one because koji it, him older like ken watanabe is like my ideal koji but that's for him in like 30 years kind of yeah <laughs> but young koji is a different story nathan i have seen monarch and i that actor did a really really good job um but i'm gonna have to go with steven yun because he's yeah, I just think uh, I just think he has like the kind of approach that would mm -hmm. best benefit Koji's sort of like multi-layered um, struggles in terms of like him and his society, uh, but also like you were saying, James, like the subservient role that he's been placed into. Yeah. So all I'm hearing is I won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless Ken Watanabe was like, I'm good. We, we can stop but, the yeah. podcast there. <laughs> yeah. We're like, that was it. <laughs> All right. You want to hit us with the next question? Yeah. So um, our third topic is what are the perfect elements of a special edition book? You know, whether it's an omnibus, a box set, leather bound, illustrated, limited edition, what do you look for in a special edition book? I feel like, James, you wrote this question just to get ideas for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't, but yes, I will be taking notes. Um, <laughs> I I love what I've been seeing over the last two years from The Broken Binding. And, I, mm -hmm. uh, and also just these indie special editions that are being run on Kickstarter. I think it's really cool to see what people do. And some things I love more than others. Like I have sort of Kaigen right back here. And on the other side, beside behind my chair, I, I have the new thread light on the bus. Um, both are beautiful in their own right, but I um, I always am interested what people gravitate towards. I prefer a box set over omnibus. 
I I like the individual books. I don't like something that's too hard to read because I, I don't know. It's unwieldy when it gets to be that size. I actually prefer like special covers, special artwork over a leather uh, binding. Illustrated, of course, detailed illustrated maps, sprayed edges, all of that. I'm not necessarily all that I don't care if it's numbered and if it's a limited edition as much like I'm not doing this because less people have it I want like the art of the book so that doesn't matter to me I know it matters to some people but I, I don't know Adrian what do you think what's what's on your list I am fully on board with you to be honest uh for me like art is everything um I don't want the omnibus as well because it's like I have like a big big like a uh, I think it's like a like a collected edition of the Earthsea books by Ursula K. Le Guin. Okay. And, no, I have that one. Yeah. And it's so big. And I'm just like, <laughs> God damn, like break my wrist just trying to like read one of them, you know? Yeah. And so for me, like to have it as a single book, uh, but to just make yeah, I mean, I talked earlier about like like the the sort of added layers that can add immersion for a reader. And for me, it's like artwork is key, you know, have like a special edition of artwork for the cover, but also like on the, on the end pages and stuff like that mm -hmm. to have like a really beautiful map um, to have illustrations interspersed throughout. And then, you know, have like some cool, cool, like sprayed edges and, and some fun little, yeah. uh, some fun little nods and stuff to what's going on inside the book. But yeah, for me, art is key and i will take that over like leather bound any day yeah. i i do say i i do love a slip cover though especially if it's uh a slip case <laughs> if it's like a box set i love a really cool design slip case yeah yeah i would say um i don't mind an omnibus because i don't think i've actually ever like read any of my special editions like i've read the book <laughs> but like not that that's edition. the collector's mentality yeah, like yeah. I like I have Just the looks, the the Threadlight Omnibus, the leather brown one. That thing's never actually getting read. Like I will read those books on my Kindle. I will pull out my old beat up paperbacks. But so I don't mind it's anonymous because it's just supposed to like it just looks cool. And that's why I think art for me is really important. Um, the overall aesthetic of the of the book. Um, I will say one thing: I do like sprayed edges, but don't give me a single color block spray edge. Yeah, like I yeah, like I those to me are like meaningless. Like there better be a cool design. Um, like with um, with what like Broken Binding did with like a memory called Empire, where the sprayed edges is actually like the cover yeah. of the book is and, really uh, cool and really I pretty. Think they did that with uh, Children of Time as well. Yeah, like, so this, like cool, uh, like kind of like watercolor space background. Yeah, I, I find so it amazing when they do like like a cityscape or something like that on on the sprayed edges or some some kind of extra artwork on the edge of the book is beautiful. Yeah, and lately, like the for the Broken Binding subscriptions, they've been doing like if you put the trilogy all together, it forms one image across the sprayed and mm. like sprayed edges. Yeah, I think so they did that with, was... uh, with Powder Mage. Yeah, in McClellan series. Yeah. So. Yeah, for me, yeah, it's all about like how pretty can you make it because I'm not really reading it. So go for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. All right. I think, Nathan, we are going wild with time because we don't have the timer this time around because your yeah. computer is, is not working for us. So we're just going off, off the hinges. 
Um, <laughs> what? Let's go. What upcoming uh, science fiction and fantasy TV show and or movie are you most excited for in 2024? Adrian, as our guest, what do you got? Oof, this was a very tough one for me. Uh, it basically came down to two. One a movie and one a TV show. Okay. Doom part two, because I'm a massive fanboy of not only uh, Frank Herbert's Dune universe, but also Denis Villeneuve's uh, just entire filmography is absolutely incredible. So that movie for me is is really big because I I've really enjoyed the first one and I'm just excited to see how he's going to expand upon that. But that was like tied neck and neck with Arcane season two, which comes out later this year, because that show is just bonkers good. It's so, so fantastic from like the the world building and the animation style to the music and the sound design and the characterization is just brilliant from top to bottom. Like I could not find a single flaw with that show and i'm not even a fan of imagine dragons so yeah <laughs> i would say the cutaway to imagine dragons playing that wasn't necessary but yeah. you stole my answer uh, that uh arcane Ooh. season two that i love <laughs> arcane what do you got nathan yeah so i was gonna go with dune at first uh but I stole both your answers i'm sorry guys <laughs> no no no. I gonna... no no that was my like even before we started recording i had gotten rid of the answer and i'm gonna go with yeah season two of interview with a vampire i think that season one of interview with a vampire was like the like platonic ideal of how you reinterpret and queer an old media property and bring the subtext and make it text in a way that doesn't feel fan servicey or unnecessary or making it feel like a completely different property. I think season one is one of the most underrated SSF TV shows of the past five years. Um, and I think I looked it up today to confirm and season two is coming out in May. So I didn't um, even know that they remade this as like a show. Yeah, it's I love, I love the movie, like the 90s movie is so good. Yeah, with, so uh, it was made with, um, with, uh, by AMC. And okay. in this one, like they're actually like, in a very like explicit homosexual relationship like it's yeah. not subtext it is like all like right there and yeah season one was very 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 good and so Where, said, what is it on because i think that's the thing isn't it on like showtime or something it's on it was on amc if okay. it's amc then i think it's uh no i'm thinking of fx is like hulu I don't know. Yeah, how AMC, I it don't know was. AMC translates to. It was on HBO Max for like a hot second there. I don't know okay. if it still is. Uh, I don't know. My mom's a big horror fan, so she this she subscribes to Shudder, like the small little <laughs> horror one, which okay. also isn't looped into AMC Plus. So that's how nice. I watched it. Nice. Uh, but yeah, I think that I think one of the issues is that it's on such a small platform. Yeah, because I've heard about it and I've wanted to watch it, but I, I just didn't have access. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even hear about it, so I'm I'm on board because I love yeah. I would when was season and one then, like 2021 maybe like 2022. It was it's been a, like a little yeah. while since okay. On. All right, you want to take us on to our next question? Yeah. Okay. Um. So a little game of 
borrow, own, destroy. So given the following three books, which would you borrow to read from the library? Which would you purchase for your own shelves? And which would you destroy? So we you have... Guys, you guys were cruel with these ones. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have three upcoming books in the next year or two. So it would be The Mercy of Gods, which is the new James um, S.A. Quarry book. Um, the Gods Below, uh, which is the new Andrea Stewart book. And then The Devils, the new Joe Abercrombie book. Part of me just so, loved the play of God, 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 uh, God, God, Devil. Devil. In the title. <laughs> um, but also, I didn't want to put like an indie author in there. Like, we don't want to throw any anybody in the bus there. But these these authors are doing fine. These trad authors, they have a thick skin. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, this is a, okay. So I'm a massive fan of James S.A. Corey uh, and the Expanse books. Um, but I am an even bigger fan of Andrea Stewart and she is someone that I've talked to a lot and is just like a beautiful, beautiful human being. And it was very difficult for me because I haven't read that much Joe Brookby, so I'm sorry, Joe, I'm going to toss you under the bus. You got enough sales to deal with it. No, I'm just <laughs> but I'm going to. Yeah, sorry, Joe. Sorry. I'm going to have to borrow the mercy of gods and I'm going to I'm going to get the gods below on my bookshelf. Adrian again, you stole my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I I went with the same. I I I haven't gotten into the expanse, but it's something that I I really want to read and um you know I think it's the intimidation of just long series are hard for me to get into. So I'm excited to get into a new series by them. Um, I love book one of Andrea Stewart's uh, first uh, series. And so I'm really interested to see the gods below. I really loved first law. I, you know, first law was great. I just know that so far he has, I think it's nine books um set in this world and i'm looking for something new i don't necessarily need another book set in the same world uh so i'm gonna go same mercy of the gods i'm borrowing i am purchasing uh the gods below and i'm sorry uh but we're destroying a copy of the devils is is the devils going to be set in the first law world or is it its own thing? I never really got confirmation one way or the other. So when I was looking it up, I, I'm pretty sure it's in the same in the first okay. law world. But it, but it's probably like a standalone in the way that he has done in the past. Yeah, like I, I think it's the start of a new series. Like oh. a little hatred was the start okay. of the new series. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, my answer is different. Um, I am buying. The Devils by Joe Abercrombie, because I'm a big <laughs> First Law fan. Um, I'm going to get Andrea Stewart's book from the library, because one of my great shames is that I haven't read any of her stuff yet. Um, so don't want to overcommit. Um, and then my thing with the with the the new um, James S.A. Corey book is that like we have nine books in the Expanse universe, 10 if you include the short story collection. And this one just doesn't feel different enough for me. And so I kind of feel like eh, if I have to destroy one of them, I'm going to destroy the one that like I've already got 10 books of. Right. So that's that's how it broke down for me. Okay, fair enough. 
we're gonna we're gonna have to keep on playing this game (laughs) i want to keep on making authors squirm with this game (laughs) (laughs) next we're gonna have to like do everybody's friends and like throw indie authors on the on the uh on on the list um, that would have been just rude if you threw MJ on my on my list. <laughs> I, I should have put MJ on that. Um, like, yeah, just like Among Thieves, just toss that shit under the... Yeah. Or we only do MJ books next time, and we'll have to wait for her to come out with a third book, so you have to own one, <laughs> borrow one, and then destroy one of her books. Oh. And destroy the possibility of her future career. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> That's just dark. <laughs> All right, last one. Give us a bookish opinion that you could rant on without prep time. You don't need to give us the rant here. Just what is the topic and why is it something that you could give us a whole, whole diatribe on? Nathan, what do you got? Um, well, first of all, I could rant about anything. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to throw that out there that you give me anything I can rant about it. Um, I kind of was thinking about this cause I feel like there's just so many things. Um, but recently like something that's just been on my mind is like, um, and this is not inspired by me reading mushroom blues. Like, please do not read too far into that. But is um, how people fantasy authors do colonialism wrong. Um, and I think like my biggest rant, particularly coming from my archaeology background, is like how all too many authors use it as window dressing and don't mm-hmm. actually engage with it as an like an actual force in history and in culture. So I would say if you really wanted me to actually go on a serious rant about something, it would be that. Yeah, I, I, I am down with that. And and for anyone listening, I didn't half-ass the colonialist. Uh, no, 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 no. That's why I was like, don't read too far into this. <laughs> you have two authors on here that have books set in kind of colonial uh, atmospheres and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I see, I see the shots taken, Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was inspired by another book I read semi recently, but neither of yours. <laughs> Do you want to name that author, and then we can just. Uh, really put it out there and and run them over the bus. With it, the bus. it is it is a trad book, so like <laughs> I mean, I will say it's not an Indian author, but <laughs> um, I'm gonna stop trying to get everybody to cancel yourself. So I'm just gonna move forward. Um, I will um, say the like if you go through, I don't think I've released the review yet when we're recording, but I was not shy in my review of the book of this criticism. So you'll be able gotcha. to see really easily. Well, I'll, I'll look out for that. Um, I'm going to say, I, again, I could probably rant on a lot of things. One of the things I hate is when people are like haters or they really misconstrue genre and people who, and, and I have a special dislike for people who hate on YA. Like mm-hmm. I think people yeah. that hate on YA either don't understand the conventions the tropes or the audience of the category. I think they just don't understand what that is supposed to be. And they think of it as something young and stupid and lacking of integrity. Um, And it's not, there are some amazing YA works that get overlooked because of the audience they're written for. Mm -hmm. I fully agree. 
Uh, we recently had Chloe Gong on SFF Addicts and we talked a lot about YA. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it's like most YA is dealing with stuff that a lot of adults can connect with. And yeah. a lot of the people that are shitting on YA just don't read YA. Yeah. You know, and you can find good YA that isn't necessarily like completely centered around romance or completely mm-hmm. centered around certain subgenres that you might be sort of pushing against or just not interested in like romanticy or whatever but yeah there's just a ton of a ton of great ya out there so yeah. i agree yeah and, what's, uh, what's your opinion fucking ai covers dude <laughs> 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 oh my god as an as an artist myself you're I'm for them. Come, of course, of course. <laughs> it's easier it's cheaper no what pisses me off is traditional publishers using ai covers when they have the art departments and they have the finances to pay talented artists for good covers and i think it was one that came out like just i think it was like just this past week gothicana uh, yeah gothicana yep. where it's just like horrible horrible not only is it an ai cover but it is a bad ai cover where i cannot believe that there were multiple people looking at this thing and vetting it and not saying how could we put this out into the world and so it just blows my mind indie authors i think as on an individual level they have the sort of like financial constraints that that an AI cover might be something that they feel is more uh, open to them uh, in terms of their budget and whatnot. Um, that comes down to an individual uh, sort of like moral and personal decision. But trad publishers, get your shit together. Tor, get your shit together. <laughs> you have a whole department and you let this shit slide even after they've already gone through previous AI cover scandals. Uh, just learn your lessons. Learn your fucking lessons. See, I already me. ranted on this on TikTok, and i I think <laughs> they I think they made it obvious because they want to see how well they can get away with AI generated art before they start making it a more common thing. Yeah, they want to see if people will <laughs> be pissed off enough not to buy but the you book. Know, but you know what? You know what the sad and and sadistic thing is they are throwing the author under the bus just as much with this yeah. kind of experiment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I could also rant on, I don't think any triad publishers actually care about authors. So <laughs> that is like a whole, whole podcast. <laughs> itself, so we're going to start the next two hours <laughs> and just get into all that. Just fucking tear into publishing. Let's do it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, so that is the end of Dragonfire. You know, thank you, Adrian, for for um, joining us, for being a part of this. Can you just give us a, a, a shout out of where to find everything that you're working on? Where should people be you know, following you on different social media platforms? How can we get more content from you? As if you're already not getting enough, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
uh main things is like you can find me on twitter all the social media platforms at adrian m gibson uh you can check out my website adrianmgibson.com uh sff addicts uh is on in video on youtube video on spotify and then an audio on all the major podcast platforms uh you can hear mj and i chatting every tuesday with new episodes new interviews with with authors uh on top of that you can uh check out my online store on my website uh where i have like merch and t-shirts and stickers and all kinds of stuff like that uh on the 26th i'll be releasing the, the mushroom blues merch and mushroom blues is out on march 19th uh as well as the mushroom blues soundtrack so both of those are coming out the same day uh you can go get yourself a copy and then go go listen to some dope ass music and just immerse yourself in in mycelium and mold and, and mushrooms for a little while and uh <laughs> yeah hey. i really appreciate you guys having me on though no thank you thank you for being a part of this thank you for dealing with our little bit of chaos <laughs> um you know i think i think we all made it work um thank you nathan for kind of sticking in there as the voice <laughs> behind you, the everyone. scene yes the omniscient narrator yes. yeah <laughs> um so with that we're going to wrap up this episode of dragon fire thank you all for listening um for more details on where to find us where to find adrian uh, that will be in the episode notes. Uh, we release an episode every other Tuesday, so please join us um, and continue to listen along. Thank you very much, and we'll we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.